This episode of the E-Design It podcast is sponsored by Microchip Technology. Make the move to high-voltage silicon carbide with ease, speed, and confidence. Microchip Technology's new 3.3 kilovolt silicon carbide MOSFETs and shock key barrier diodes deliver advanced efficiency and reliability for your high-voltage power systems. Unveiled last month at APEC 2022, the MOSFETs give you the industry's lowest on resistance of just 25 milliohms. And with the shock key barrier diodes, you get the industry's highest current reading of 90 amps. Plus, you can get either of these power devices as a die or packaged. To learn more, visit microchip.com forward slash APEC 2022. All right, guys, I'm Nicolette, and today Brian and I are here with Nathan Prey, Margaret Cunha, and Mike Rankins from DigiKey. We have a DigiKey dream team here with us today to talk with us about supply chain issues. And uh, like we were joking about before, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a shortage, right? So um, we've got some some issues going on in the industry, and we're going to talk a little bit about solutions to combat those. So thank you all for joining us. We're super excited to have three of you with us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I know. They they decided they were going to outnumber us today, right? I (laughs) I like it. All right. So, I mean, uh, let's let's talk about the not so big elephant in the room. Um, You know, let's talk about shortages and guys feel free. Whoever wants to jump in and tackle anything, go for it. And uh, well, I have a question around shortages, right? right? Are there any particular areas you guys are really seeing more shortages in than others? Right. Like what areas are really seeing the most shortages at this point? You know, I. from my side, I, I think the biggest issue, and we talk about the elephant in the room, is semiconductor chips, right? It's in the news. People talk about it. It impacts our life every day, right, with cars and and uh, computers. And, and there's so many problems with that. So that's really the biggest area that, that we tend to deal with is this, the semiconductor, semiconductor chip shortage. So, you know... One of the things that I've looked at from that commodity is it's it was once just capacity, and now we're talking about uh, other issues that are going on in the world. You know, it was capacity, it was freight, and now with the Ukraine and the Russia conflict, right, that's added another element. Apparently, there's a gas called, it's a neon gas that's produced in Ukraine. It's 80 to 90 percent of the world supply comes from the Ukraine, wow. and that goes into the production of, of semiconductor uh, wafers. So, you know, it's it, it's almost, it's like a confluence of problems that just keep coming at this one element. But from our standpoint, that's the biggest one for us. You add to that freight and other things. So. Margaret. Yeah, logistics, raw material. This is, I think they're calling it the predictability of unpredictability in 2022, right? Yeah. We're, we're just trying to assess how the, the supply chain is so fragile. That's a big aha. We've all learned that. And there's just folks that are trying to get extreme, extremely creative. Just this week alone, I heard three different um, versions that the automakers are actually starting to take all their auxiliary chips, anything tied to, you know, the niceties, the GPSs, the things that aren't necessarily tied to safety or a requirement for driving mm-hmm. and just pushing the product through to get it out, which is going to be super interesting to see on the back end. Once the chips are available, are you going to take your time to send your car back in to get certain right. things loaded back in? Right. It's just, it's going to be really interesting from a financial standpoint to see where then this next step takes the supply chain as well. It, it's tough. This is tough. It's not easy. Uh, customers are struggling. 
suppliers are struggling to support them and and there there isn't any one simple answer because it's across the board so many different pieces of the supply chain are impacted mm-hmm. that, that's, that's oh sorry interesting. i was just thinking i'm, I'm not ch- you know exactly chip related but i'm thinking about the end user then who's purchasing mm-hmm. a vehicle and now you're still marking up the vehicle but are you, um, I don't know, question, right? or are we right. still marking up the vehicle, even right. though we don't have all of those nice deeds right. in there? Probably, it's like you're, right? you're going to pay more money for the car, but for you're less. not going to have your GPS, but maybe we'll give you your GPS in two years, right? Maybe. Like that's almost, that's exactly. almost what's, what we're saying here. Well, and it's interesting because my son just bought a, uh, a, a new car. Not, no, not new, new to him used. And that was the first thing he didn't want was the GPS. I'll use my phone. I don't need the yeah, GPS. Exactly. So you're going to have that generational requirement as well, right? There's certain things that I would want in a car that say a 20 something would not want in a car. It, it's going to, it's going to all change that all comes into the consumer wants and that's what's going to drive the supply chain as well. So it's just, it was interesting. We had an interesting uh, lunch conversation over it with a couple engineers. You know, I, I mean, what's really interesting about that, if, you know, so let's back up, you know, I guess like maybe probably like 25 years, right? You didn't really have those computer chips in cars, right? right? You know, or you did, but they were very minor, you know, are we going to see it almost backing up to there and where now you're plugging in your other device, you know, now that you're talking about, you know, because I mean, I do the same thing. I never use the GPS, even if it's use, in my car. I don't use any of those features. Right. And when I, I go I there, I'm like, I don't need anything. I have my phone. Right. I'm good. I don't want your Sirius XM. I don't want your GPS. <laughs> I don't want your yeah. lady who doesn't shut up and the you know on star i don't want it i've got the right. phone and i'm good and you stream you stream straight from your phone but i mean it's interesting too because now you're using all you know your data portion of your phone right you know so it's yeah. it's definitely a very it's definitely a give and take but i mean it's it's interesting to see like is it going to sort of back up a little bit you know where cars are i don't want to say they're going to be dumbed down because they're going to need all the safety features like right. you're talking about right. but are they going to start losing some of that other technology and that's going to be replaced by the individual's device mm-hmm. but if it's not that what is it's what's the next new game right. that's going to go into that car i was when you were talking i was thinking about 2018 in the mlcc shortage right one of the problems with mlccs they go into a lot there's a lot of sensors and things like that well 10 20 years ago there was probably a thousand mlccs in a car and now they're over ten thousand. so think about sensors and you know every time you turn a car goes by you you're your mirror lights up and all of those things that happen, right? So they just continue. To, that's one of the one of the other issues, right, is you get so many more things technology-wise going into the car that are electronic-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you add to that then all of the new bells and whistles that go into all the cell phones and, the, and, start, and then Internet of things that you've got mm-hmm. going on. And more people are home. And wanting to put in their nest or their, you know, I don't want to give anybody a commercial here, but they want to put in their ring or all of these things. All of those things um, are just adding up to that. And, you know, COVID, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what I call the confluence of, of problems. So, um, do, you, do you guys think it's going to slow down like uh, the autonomous vehicle sort of push? I was just thinking the same thing. I, I don't see it. So I'm in California. Uh And there just seems to be more and more, you know, startups and companies that are looking at LIDAR, looking at the EV, looking at all of the support features for that industry. I, 
I'm not feeling it today. I don't right. feel the slowdown. I, I feel that there's a lot of demand. I feel that there's a lot of energy around it, a lot of focus, a lot of support, a lot of financial support. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't I don't see that. I don't know. Mike, Nathan, do you do you agree? You're on different coastlines and yeah, we, we have a major customer in Florida that they haven't slowed down one bit. They continue to drive forward. They've got a, a major contract with one of the uh, one of the automotive companies for trucks, actually, yeah. which, which that scares me. But besides that, and that's all <laughs> and that's all lidar technology as well. Yeah. So. Did, were there any shortages that we didn't expect to happen? I mean, we know semiconductor. Was there anything that surprised you? Shortage wise, besides surprised. toilet paper or. Well, oh, yeah, all right, yeah. I, I did, you know, I always tell people, by the way, is, you know, my wife didn't know what I did for 40 years, and now all of a sudden we're talking about it on our walks, but what supply yeah. chain really is, uh, you yeah. know, and so, and it really just started because of the, of the toilet paper problem. You, know, you, <laughs> you start thinking about, you know, the world's supply of lumber and wood, things like that. I never mm-hmm. thought of that, that, and that's when Margaret and I talked about how, how it's really just... So volatile. I think that's to to your point, Nicolette. It's a great question. I don't think the surprise was in any one area. I think it was in how extensive Mm -hmm. it reached. And and Mike brings up a valid point. I have friends who are in supply chain, but a lot of our external groups didn't know what we really did. And now it's dinner conversation. So it, it is, it's really changing kind of the mindset. Mm-hmm. And folks are really understanding how supply chain impacts their daily lives. Mm-hmm. To your point, the yeah. toilet paper. Mm-hmm. I couldn't buy soy sauce for a month. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. and, it, and it just seems to be random things. So like, yeah, sudden, like, I can't get, I can't get Gatorade for like. Oh, like, there you go. Like, I had a Velveeta um, issue. You know? yeah. yeah. So it's like random. It's like random things because it's sort of filtering through everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, that's a good point that both of you bring up. Like, I don't even know if most people knew what the word supply chain really meant <laughs> until like probably two and a half years ago. Right. 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 <laughs> right. I was I was writing for Parpicure since what now, Brian? And I still oh, didn't know yeah. what, what supply chain was it until was. this year. So <laughs> yeah, that's How right. About that? <laughs> yeah, I think it was something we all took for granted. You know, everybody living their daily lives, we didn't have to think about it because it was such a well-tuned machine that things were on shelves and available for sale wherever you wanted it, when you wanted it. And now that it's not, yeah, I mean, that's, it has thrust it into the daily conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of, oh, go ahead. No, no, sorry, sorry, Margaret. No, I think a lot of supply chain professionals and, and Mike, we've lived this throughout our careers this has always been a problem. It's always just been a very specific problem to your point, Nicolette. It's always been very commodity focused. You know, you had an earthquake in Japan that affected your capacitors or, you know, you had a diode issue with one manufacturer in Taiwan. You had little spots of areas that were problematic and you could kind of get through those. Mm -hmm. This was extreme. This was unprecedented. And so I think this just took it to a whole nother level. There were pockets and it was hidden, right? So it was a nickel, there was a nickel problem or a palladium problem. Or, and, and the supply chain professionals were working through those. And so it tended to stay masked to the public that it was like, 
And, and they were short. They were usually short stents because, like right. you mentioned, like a natural disaster. And yeah. then you got past yeah. that natural disaster, you fixed it, and you, you moved on, you yeah. know. So it was short stents. This has been a very long, you know, um, run run on this. Yeah. But, you know, something Nathan said just made me think of something, right? You know, things just showed up automatically for us, right? And a lot of that was using, like, APIs and connections that human beings weren't even touching, right? We had, mm-hmm. you know, machines talking to each other, things like that. Um, you know, so how, how did that you know, how does that work, right? How does that work from, you know, the 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 logistics or the supply chain point of view? Nathan, you want to talk about a little bit of the machine to machine? Yeah. So I guess from a, you know, from a machine to machine perspective, data has always been moving back and forth behind the scenes. Um, whether it was EDI as, you know, some of the older technologies that, that help that, help facilitate that or as, we could look into APIs, you know, relatively new in the the grand scheme of things. It, it's always been happening, um, you know. It's just a matter of you know what data is what data is anybody looking to consume. You know, it's mm-hmm. as as we continue to progress with more shortages, with you know, with more need for data fast. Um, you know, it's it's become a bigger issue. It's it's become a bigger topic with a lot of the customers that I've been talking to. It's not, yeah. you know, it's things that people hadn't thought about or, or maybe did take for granted that, you know, I knew that I could just go to a website or I could, I, I could get that information that that stock and availability information. And and now mm-hmm. it's, now the expectation is that it's it's there, you know, instantaneously. It's it's within your ERP. It's it's just available. Right. So did that did that also change because, right, you know, there's a certain amount of inventory that comes in, right? And because the shortage is it's going out so quick. So the quicker you're getting in there to get your inventory, the quicker you're connecting. So are people yeah. benefiting from having sort of like speed on their side, I guess, is my point? I think that's exactly that's, it, Brian. You know, I've got a customer who does, you know, quick turn builds um, mm-hmm. for their customers and he set up an API with us directly. And so during the middle of the night, his machine's coming in, talking to our machine. Is the product available? Is it the right price point? Release an order. So when his right. procurement team walks in the next day, they're not getting a list from their, you know, their ERP system right. saying, hey, there's a hundred parts you need to procure. It's actually, hey, we've already released 80 POs. Here's your material. It's going to be in these dates. Here's the 20 that you have to go deal with. They're already ahead of the curve. Right. That's what you want. He who gets, yep. who uses the data better and faster will win. Yeah, so yeah. they're dealing with the exceptions, and it helps mm-hmm. from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I love the punchline to that, Margaret. That process takes about six seconds yeah. for them to do that. And so that's when you start thinking about, you know, the old buyer or purchasing person sitting there, you know, mm-hmm. placing and chasing. Yeah. Right? It's the people that want to adopt that technology, that digital connectivity. They're the ones that, uh, you know, it's just freeing them up. So right. giving yeah. them more time. Well, and I, I think to Margaret's point, you know, it's in real time. It's whatever at midnight or whatever. It's just going when it's going, right? It's right. it's automatically kicking off. It's automatically searching the inventory, looking for it. Is it there? Purchase it, you know, mm-hmm. if it meets the criteria. So, you know, it's yep. definitely going to give you an edge. Right. Yeah. Well, did you, oh, go ahead. Do we want to maybe talk a little bit about um, how APIs work just for kind of, you know, folks who are tech savvy but don't quite understand the specifics? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a, a complicated um, it's a complicated thing to understand because there's nothing really to see. You know, it's it's that process when you're talking machine to machine communication. There doesn't need to be that graphical interface that human beings require, and so it's it is a tough concept to grasp. But it's 
you know, it's it's the same processes that are powering everything on your phone. You know, you're logging into Facebook and getting your Facebook feed. It's all running on an API. You know, it's no different than than any of that. So for the electronic component industry, it's you know we're we're feeding we're making pricing information, availability information available, you know, from our servers direct into into customer servers. And I think it's relatively, I want to say it's relatively new, you know, when you're my age, everything's new. But um, if you start thinking about, when you start thinking about, it's probably, what, five, six years, Nathan, that mm-hmm. we've really been into application program interface or yeah. digital connectivity. We can call it a few different things, but um, we had the early adopters, people that jumped right in and really wanted to think about that, that, that customer that Margaret was speaking of, definitely an early adopters. And w- the nice part is we can use those examples when talking to customers about what big data can do for them, um, right? And so that's it, it really is tomorrow. Even our own people in our own company, right? They, you know, I don't understand. They got that price from the API. Where did that come from? Because they can't see it. It's not, you know, so it is different for them and until they start to understand the whole concept. That's a great is, point. Yeah. 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 You have so many that, you have so many people that say, okay, well, I got it off your website. Well, I can go to my website and I can yeah. verify and I can see. But to say, you know, we, you know, it's pulled right into our system through, you know, from an API. There's a lot of trust that goes into that. There's, right. it, it, yeah. you get rid of that visual layer, and the, the mm-hmm. trust factor has to go up. That mm-hmm. that data is doing what it's supposed to do. It's moving from place to place. Right. right. And it, so, and with the API, I mean, it's it's other things besides you know inventory pricing, right? Do you, what else is in there? Do you guys have like end of life, you know, barcodes? What other information can the users pull in? Because that also becomes very critical. Because you know when they're ingesting that API, maybe they're visually looking at it in a very different way, or they need other chunks of data. Is there other data they could pull in besides the you know the availability and pricing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it. As, as we talk about APIs, EDI, whatever it might be, digital connectivity, mm-hmm. it's just a tool. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's like reaching into your toolbox and taking out a hammer or a wrench. You know, you want to make sure you have the right tool for the right job. It, it comes down to process. You know, the, the business process, analyzing that process. What's inefficient? What's not? What do you want to automate? You know, EDI is a little more structured. It's rigid. It's predefined standards. It's you know, it's it's fantastic to do what it needs to do when you're trying to replicate a process across a number of different um, different sources. API is is much more you know up to the imagination. Uh, you know, if there's a data point that you can use that can help you create an action that can help you automate a process, it's either going to be there now, and if it's not, ask for it. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's tons of data that's there, and it's not just pricing and availability, but it's right. parametric information. If you want to find substitutes, mm-hmm. it's end of life. It's you know life cycle information to you know to verify that your design is you know going to be good for the next year. Uh, it's right. It's well, all and, it's all available. Well, and that's something interesting you just brought up, Nathan. The the you know the parametric information, right? So if something's not available. You know, is there something else that you could use? Right, right. You know, it becomes mm-hmm. really important, especially with the shortages. Right. Yeah, and even just pure substitute information. Right. You know, we've already done all that work of, you know, comparing part to part. You know, if part XYZ doesn't work for you, you know, here's another one. Can we go back to something Mike said for a second? We're talking about, you know, how this is fairly new, five, six years. So 
that's pre-COVID. Now, you talk about the early adopters, but were there some folks who, um, not early adopters, but kind of were open-minded to getting on board, you know, in the beginning? And and did COVID change that for some folks who maybe were hesitant with our, you know, the subsequent shortages? And third part is if nobody is willing and open-minded, why? Why are they, why are they hesitant to... Sure. Sure. So let me jump in first. And- I think there was like five questions. I'm sorry, yeah, let me just ask them all. <laughs> I did say I was old before, right? I can't remember that much. But let me just start with the first part, though, is that when I said it's relatively new, it's newer in the electronics field. For supply this chain. For yeah. supply chain. This has right. been, you know, APIs have been around for a long, long time. Um, there's been a lot of machine-to-machine interface for a long time. But for distribution and electronics and for us, it's probably a probably a six-year journey so far. Um, so that's that's the first part. Um, what was the second or third question? <laughs> did did the subsequent uh, shortages and, and our new supply chain issues um, play a role in kind of maybe propelling some people sure. to get on board? No, I, and I think it was actually before that. So we did have the early adopters, and then we had the next phase of people that started to come in and recognize the fact that they could do other things that would free up their time to do other uh, more important strategic pieces of, of supply chain, uh, and they didn't have to worry. I always I use Nathan's example all the time. 80% of the work is done for you sometimes when you just now you can work on the strategic for the last 10 or 20% of the stuff so that was uh, and that was the second group of people caught that and picked it up and actually from an earlier podcast we all had together when we had Kara on and we talked about her coding tools yeah. right and she's the one that said hey you don't have to worry about 10 parts out of 200 right and so now she she's taken a lot of that data that routine stuff off of her plate so she can really go chase the hard stuff um, and I think one of the third questions was, you know, how does, why do some people resist? Some people, you know, they just haven't figured a way to get the technology into their company. So we deal with a lot of smaller contract manufacturers and people that, you know, build products for people. And it's not, it's not easy for them to get the resources available to do that. And then not only that is going back to Nathan's con- concept is they can't touch it. They can't hold it. So it's a little bit harder sell for us to, for Margaret and I and Nathan to, to talk to customers that they just don't ever want to, maybe don't want to go there or. Is it, is it that they, you know, is it that they don't, I mean, and I don't know any other word, but trust, right? Is it that they don't trust it because they're not physically going there and typing in like whatever the part number is and seeing that there's those numbers, they're just having to trust the computer or telling the value, them. or is it not seeing the value? Like not being able to properly explain the value to the people who need buy, who we need buy-in from. I think it's an understanding as well. I think you know, COVID and the pandemic really pushed many of us into a more digital world mm-hmm. because we didn't have a choice, right? We weren't physically in the same building with folks. We weren't doing work the, the way we normally did it. So we had to get creative. We had to use the technology at hand. So I think there was a lot of folks that act automatically kind of push themselves into a more digital framework. You you can tell just how we're meeting today, right? right? Zoom and WebExes, everything exploded from that standpoint. So I think the folks who feel comfortable with software are embracing it. 
and, and are trying to understand how to utilize it. And there's an onslaught of increase in, you know, computer science, data science, all of those types of fields. Mm-hmm. Big data is not going away. It's going to be king. And, uh, and I think it's, it's just, what are you, what's your human nature, right? We're, we're habitual. We don't generally like change. So I think there's a lot of hesitation from that standpoint. If folks are introduced to it and they're comfortable with it and they see the value, it's a perfect word, Nicolette, they see the value that it provides, then, then they're on board. You have to see the value. And if you've never experienced it, it's, it's kind of like a blind faith, right? Right. So you really do have to surround yourself. Um, I've always said, you know, a good accountant, a good mechanic and a good software engineer, and I can get through pretty much anything. (laughs) (laughs) What about cost savings? I mean, how do you, how do, how would you describe cost savings? Because there are some cost savings. And Brian, you and I were talking about mm-hmm. this yesterday and you brought up the cost savings. So that was something we wanted to talk about. How would you describe cost savings in, in this situation using APIs? So I think it, it depends on where you're, so every company is going to have a different, different operating expense. Mm-hmm. So first off, understand your operating expense, right? So where's your cost going? Is it your human labor or is it, right. you know, orders? Are you manipulating your POs multiple, multiple times over and over and over again? Every time you touch it, there's a cost. Right. So the folks who have figured out how to harness that machine to machine piece, to Mike's point, it's six seconds. Mm-hmm. You've just limited your time. Yes, you have an upfront cost of the development piece, either through your own internal IT resources and software programmers or an external third party who could set it up for you. There is an initial cost, nothing is for free, but once that setup is completed, then you should see the benefits of it. The example that I gave earlier, um, ironically enough, the fear is, oh, these APIs are gonna get set up and then I'm not gonna have a job. Hmm. Uh, The company I described, yes, They've altered it where he spent his money wasn't, say, on a tactical buyer. He's now looking at investing in more of a commodity manager, more somebody more strategic who's looking at more of the analytics, how to use the data, how to engage with directly with their customer base, how to negotiate differently with the supply base. So the job's just evolving a little Mm -hmm. bit. I think it's getting a little bit more fun, actually. Yeah. And I, and I think Mike pointed out too, like, you know, instead of chasing whatever, you know, 80 parts, you're only chasing 10, right? Yeah, Those things right. that may not be available, you know, and you may have to search elsewhere or go to, you know, use a different source to find those parts, mm-hmm. you know, or look for a different part in general, you know, so you could look at the parametric information. Exactly. So, And there's a cost. Could you imagine a cost savings of knowing that there's an end of life device on your bill of materials <laughs> yeah. and before you even roll it out in a production. Yep. <laughs> you now have caught yourself. That's a huge, we used huge. to call that a 10 cent problem in, inside the factory turns into a thousand dollar problem once it gets to a consumer. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and especially as we talked about those automotive manufacturers reprinting GPS back Recalls that come with that. Oh yeah, recalls oh, are no man. joke. Those are expensive. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so huge cost savings right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, having that information. Hey, Brian, why don't you bring up the manufacturers, you, you know, different manufacturers, I'm um, sorry, distributors. Uh, we talked about different distribution channels, and that was something we wanted to talk about, um, what happens when you're using multiple different Right. So, yeah, there, obviously, you know, there are, there are multiple APIs out there where you can pull from different, you know, purchasing solutions. So how do these systems work when you sort of 
bring them all together, right? If you're looking for, for multiple APIs, you know, how are users implementing things like that? You know, or buyers, I should say. I'll jump. Yeah, I was going to say, I have one. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'll jump in, but I mean, listen, I, even in supply chain and what we do every day when we just talk about supply chain is, mm-hmm. you know, we all have to have those same capabilities as distributors mm-hmm. because it's not a scalable solution if we don't. Now, some of us, like DigiKey, I believe, has maybe we're, we have more than the average distributor, but then it's a, a different one. But uh, so that's our side of the fence. But on the other side is what they build, right? So one of the things that I always talk about is when I sit with a customer and I talk about digital connectivity, a lot of customers don't have the technology or the people, the IT people, to create these APIs, to create the connectivity. Um, and so they may have to go to a third party. So there's third parties out there that do that, that connect all of us together. And in some cases, kind of, they've already built the They've already made the cake, right? They mm-hmm. kind of know how to connect to us. We already know. We've already, you know, Nathan and his team have worked to get them on board. Um, so that's one area. Of the, you know, I think the biggest the biggest challenge typically is getting them to see which way they want to go. Because if they're doing it individually, distributor by distributor, supplier right. by supplier, they have to have an IT team that can actually do that and write that code. You know, we do a lot of things. Nathan has created a fabulous you know, website where we can they can come in and, and try their, their code and test their code in the sandbox and other things. So mm-hmm. and I didn't want to turn that into a DigiKey commercial, but it kind of went. but to add to that too you know it's not necessarily the connection isn't the issue because it's just you know it's one you know one endpoint of data and that can be mapped into whatever the the cost is initially is is the application that's being built on the customer side i mean it's Mm -hmm. there's got to be a software program that brings this data in that you know that Mm -hmm you know, collates information and then returns it back to that user. There, there has to be that, there has to be that visual interface at some point. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, it's, it's a choice of whether you choose to create your own that, you know, does the functions that you want, or you choose to, to go with some of these third parties that have already done a lot of that for you. But, you know, it's, it's that, you know, do you put the big cost up front and build your own, or do you have, you know, have an incurred cost down the road that's, you know, recurring? So, Right. The biggest challenge, sorry, I think still, Nathan, is the biggest challenge is integrating, to your point, integrating it into their system. So yep. it then becomes part of their process. Mm-hmm. When I say okay. them or they, it's the customer. The so, customer needs to figure a way to integrate that in right. to make those steps easier, more more smooth and automated. So, so once they figure out their workflow, if they're using, you know, multi distributors, right, for certain things, they're just building that into their software. And so it works for them when they bring it into their team, right. team itself. Now, do you see, uh, besides private companies, right, we talked a lot about companies and building, do we see a lot of like universities and things like that, or, you know, governments even implementing these APIs for purchasing? They, they use the punch out catalogs a little bit more, I, I would think. I mean, Nathan, do you agree? Yeah. Not necessarily the API piece. Yeah, when you've got when you've got buyers kind of spaced out the way like a university is set up is just different than what a private company typically mm-hmm. is, or you've got different departments that need to requisition and have approvals put into place. The punch out system is is a little bit more geared towards that. 
It's almost like an easy button, like the staples. Yeah, you guys talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So again, we, we talked about it as an easy button, but you know, it's basically like an icon that shows up on their desktop uh-huh. and they're in the requisition the requisitioner would actually go in and find what they wanted. It looks like they're on our website, right? So they can find they want, they put it in the shopping cart. From that point, it then, I call it, maybe I always have it wrong, but it punches out into their SAP system, say, into their ERP, and then it goes through the approval process, and the PO pushes out the other side, which is all automated at at the university level. So we find that we... I would say that most of the time we're always into some type of punch out process with universities and mm-hmm. gotcha. uh, some, some of the um, medical, you know, not medical, mm-hmm. but uh, mill aerospace people are doing it as well. Okay. Um, and it's mostly MRO for those material, you know, maintenance, repair and operations mm-hmm. type products. Um, things that they don't want to use P cards for. So give you a 1970s term. So, so. Yeah. So okay, so are there? Oh, sorry, Nicolette, were you going to ask something? Finish. You can finish up because oh. I have a random question. Okay, so well, I was going to ask if there's any other places where you're going to see shortages. But so if you have a random question, I was, you know, I was just gonna, I was just gonna randomly ask what's going on in power because Apex going on this week, and I'm just well, that's right. If there's anything going on in power you want to talk about, let's let's talk about it. Oh gosh, yeah, we actually have some representation at Apex this week. Um, but he's been busy, so I haven't had much time. <laughs> I've done a couple little email back and forth, but nothing detailed. You know, it's it's. Um, I think power is always an interesting play, especially with all the electric vehicles and that being such a large market. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just there's a lot of churn. There's a lot of focus on on that spe- specific area. But as far as any up to date information, I'm not privy. I will next week. We're all we're right. All right. We'll, we'll, right. We'll, okay, we'll get you back and talk about that. Okay. <laughs> so, so are there any, are, are there any other areas that you predict, you know, just basically based on what's going on in the world, other things that we're going to, we're going to see some other shortages in. Before, which yeah. Yeah. Or even like, you know, like, though. like batteries, right. You know, mm-hmm. like lithium ion and, you know, things like that, that Nickel. we may see shortages. Nickel, yeah. right. Some of these electric well, uh, into the batteries. So yeah, so there's a lot, of, a lot about a Russia, right. So well, yeah. nickel, mm-hmm. uh, save, save your nickels. That'd be expensive. Is that why I saw a Facebook post about my, how much my nickels were worth? I was yes. like, ah, <laughs> check that exactly out. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't clicking yeah. that. I was yep. clicking. Yep. And just think you were using the API for Facebook to connect. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything that we're not asking about that we should be asking about on this topic? I think we covered quite a Thank bit you. in a short 30 yeah, no, this was this was good. I think it was good. Yeah. We could, yeah, we could talk about. That's the problem, right? Every little commodity is going to have its own nuance, yeah, its own specifics, its own. But it, are we done? No, I mean, there's so much upheaval going on on in the globe right now. Um, everyone is talking about what happens if China and Russia combine. What happens with Taiwan? There, there's a lot of what ifs that right. folks are getting really nervous about, and I've got a couple of customers just locally in the Bay that are bringing some of their manufacturing back to the States ASAP mm-hmm. just to kind of, you know, control their supply chain a little bit tighter. 
Right. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we, we've been talking about that for a while, like nearshoring, you know, and we see like some fabs going up, but you know, it's not like you spin up a fab and like right. you know, six months yeah. later you're, you're up and running, right? That's like mm-hmm. a multi-year project. So do we see, do we, we're, are, so are we predicting that there's going to be a lot more nearshoring, you know, whether it's, you know, in the U S or whatever in Canada or in North America? I, I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think, you know, Mike and I were chatting about it. We've been doing this a long time. And before everything moved offshore and overseas, mm-hmm. a lot of it was in-house and, and in North America. You had a lot of uh, more control over your supply chain end to end. And there was also a lot of longevity. We've almost gotten the feeling where the pendulum swung too far to the other, the other way, right? Just in time and just enough and no visibility, right? Nobody wants to send a forecast because they don't want to get stuck to it. So it's become very, what's, what do we need for next month? What do we need for next quarter? Just very short sighted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, there might be a little bit of a shifting with that. I think there needs to be a longer term vision again, more of a strategy to your point, Brian, because if we don't get two years out, we're never going to get there. Yes. I see. So I think the folks that are have a short and long-term plan are probably going to be better set to survive. So do you think that's also going to affect, right, you know, um, with that being, do you think that's also going to affect the way they're designing? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I, design's making me really nervous right now because I have a lot of my old engineers reaching out, knowing mm-hmm. that I work at DigiKey, like, hey, I can't see this chip on your website. Whatever. So they're, in some cases, they're over-designing. Right. Uh, the application because they can't get the chip, right? That's how they're metriced. I need to get my board out in X amount of time. Right. So if I can't get the chip I want, I'm going to go get the chip I can get. Right. Is it the right, is it the right cost chip? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, and in some cases, a good engineer is always going to over-design. Under-design brings you quality problems. There's that cost discussion again. Right. Um so it, that's been very interesting is talking to some of my design engineers and, and, and that they're just taking very interesting, creative design steps. Right. So we'll see what happens. That's another shift in the yeah. thing too. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because you've seen that with some companies in the past. That's yeah. just how they sort of operate, right? They, right. they over-design, over-design so that way, that way, you know, yeah. things happen, they keep going, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, they're not always looking for, like, okay, here's the next chip or, you know right. what I mean? Like, Does that affect the cost then? Oh, for, for sure. For, for, yes. I mean, logically, I would think so. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and so that's where it gets interesting to Brian's point. I've have seen companies where they over-design it, get the product out, and then they scream at their procurement team to drive the cost out. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's a strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it just well, depends. It almost seems like you, you need to do that, right? Because you're just not, you're not going to know what you're going to have for, uh, like you said, probably the next two years, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be really sure of what you get your hands on. And, and that's if it even ever changes, right? It's, you know, until we like spin up fabs, maybe in the U S right. you know, you're gonna, you're going to always be like, okay, what am I able to get? So, you know, back to that just in time, you know, it's right. it's going to be rough to design with that just in time mindset. So the engineer is really going to have to sort of shift their design, you know, process and thoughts mm-hmm. there. Going back to the nearshoring, I think I think it's changed to reshoring. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a good think point. about it that way yeah. because we've let we've kind of let it all go, mm-hmm. and so we have to figure a way to get that all back. And that's really you think about U.S., Canada, Germany, and now even some of the car companies. 
going back to that chip, chip conversation, is they're all starting to think about, and it is a five-year problem. It's going to take five years to get there, but if you think about reshoring, it's taking control of my my, my supply chain again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, instead of giving it and letting other people do it for me, they're going to start taking more control of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I just, this has probably been the, uh, the worst, the pandemic created most of this, this issue, right? But uh, it's funny, I had a customer the other day ask about, you know, I think it was Thailand or one of the countries that was shutting down for a week. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking about it a little bit. And I was like, listen, you know, we're two years into this, a week. I mean, that's nothing. That's not even yeah. a hockey games, you know, it's nothing. So let's, and, and even he said the same thing. He says, I don't even know why we asked because we're so past that because we went months before that. Mm-hmm. We were shut down for months. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I guess I'm going to go back to the, I think it's the reshare and taking control back of your, your supply chain. What Margaret said, um, companies are starting, they should be looking a year out, two years out of what, right. you know, what their requirements yeah. are. Second point, you know, another thing I just thought of as we were talking, right, we see, you know, we, uh, where Intel's putting their fab in Ohio, right, this is yep. where they mm-hmm. finally settled on. Are, are we going to see certain areas, you know, in the U.S. become sort of like areas where we're going to, you know, put fabs and sort of have like a new, you know, like we had like the steel industry in like a certain area of the U.S. Like, are we going to see fabs go into like certain areas or are we going to see them like more spread out, do you guys think? That's a great question. I, that is a great question. Because I don't know if it's resource right. constrained and the reason you'd go yeah. there because, you know, the U.S. is saying they'd like to put something in Arizona, right? So that's Why the government not? jumping in. And then Intel says, oh. Well, that's you know, like, family's a lot of, yeah, family's <laughs> yeah. a lot of water. I'm just saying, like Arizona right? doesn't really strike me as, uh, <laughs> you know, a place to go. It's true. It's true. It's <laughs> true. But yeah, you're you're right. With you know, it's going to be interesting how they how they zone these things for these type of fabs. I mean, they're not they're not small facilities, you know. Right, right. Well, everybody, we do appreciate your time today, and this was a. I think it was an optimistic discussion. You know, as much as there's there's stuff going on, I, I feel like I don't feel um, despair. Right. No. I, I don't feel that at all. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 that's at least the vibe that I get from from this conversation. So we just got to kind of buckle in and uh, like Mike said, take control back. Right. Let's okay. take control yeah. back. Reshore. Yeah. I like that word. Mm-hmm. Reshore. Reshore. Yeah. Reshore. <laughs> so for our listeners, we will have some links and descriptions and bios and everything we talked about today. And you'll get to learn more about our uh, our three guests today, as well as uh, some of the stuff that they're working on over at DigiKey. So, again, thank you so much. We do appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thanks for having us.